listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. So now if you would stand with me as we read today's scripture. Um, Today's scripture is 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to be reading verses 20 through 28. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so all in Christ, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Sorry, lost my spot. Now when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, brother. Welcome, welcome. How's it going? It's good. Happy Mother's Day. All right. Everybody says thank you, which is not always the case. Uh, My name is Samir. I have the honor of being one of your pastors here. It's a joy and a privilege to be here and to be worshiping with you and to be um, bringing God glory with you. Um, Again, I want to say happy Mother's Day, but I want to wish those that... um, are mothers and or have not yet to be mothers, uh, but today is also uh, an amazing time because we want to recognize some of you that had amazing moms and had had wonderful moms and are we are thankful for the experience of having great moms, but we also know that today can be painful, can be hard for some, um, can, can be not as celebratory uh, because some of you may have lost a mom. Um, or I've had moms that have been poor examples of what a mother is. Um, But some of us have been trying to become moms um, and and suffer silently every time you see others um, seemingly take for granted the deepest unfulfilled desire of your heart. Um, so, So here at Story City, we are celebrating you today. We are remembering you today, whether your mom was and still is amazing or whether she was not, whether or not you have become a mom or whether you are still waiting on the Lord for what could be. We celebrate the fact that your mother has had you, first and foremost, that you are here and that you're with us here at Story City Church. We are grateful that you are with us. So today we celebrate you. We, we have a gift for those that are mothers, those that aren't mothers, women, all of you. We have a gift for you on your way out um, later in the service. So super grateful for you. We honor you. We thank you. We celebrate you. Uh, I want to go into a time of prayer as we continue into our time into the message today. Let me pray for us. 
Lord, we are grateful. We're grateful that you are the provider and the comforter. Just like Brendan was reading this morning, you are the God of all comfort. God, in, in the midst of great joy, in the midst of great celebration, in the midst of great examples in this world of what a mother is, Lord, we are grateful and we celebrate. But also knowing that there is times where that isn't the case, that this, that this life, that this world is hard and it's broken, um, but yet you are the comforter in the midst of all. And so we celebrate you as our good, good father. And so as we go into your word this morning, Jesus, I pray that you be declared, that you be glorified, that your son, Jesus, may be on display and that we may see you more clearly this morning. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are just in the home stretch of this First Corinthians series that we've been in since January. We just have two more weeks, today and next week, and we are done with our First Corinthians series, which is such a joy because it's so cool to see the progression that we walk in together as a people of God. This is the first big series that we've gone through together um, as a young church plant that we are, and it's so fun to, to see God's hand in it all. The next series we're going to be jumping into is a shorter series, but it's going to be called The Psalms of Lament, and we'll talk more about that as it comes. Uh, but we're excited about that as well. I want to review really quickly just some of the topics that the Paul, that Paul has written in 1 Corinthians. It's, it's, a, it's a letter to this church that Paul planted, and they were going through some serious stuff, some issues, some concerns, some things that were good, but some things that were hard. Um, and I want to give some real quick review on what some of those topics were. So as we go into chapter 15, it gives us more of a, a bow in what Paul is trying to say. It's really important for those maybe haven't been with us throughout the series. Uh, this is a quick example of some of the things he's been sharing. He was talking generally about healthy living and how healthy living is better than division in the church. He was talking about not comparing yourselves to others, that it's deadly to compare yourselves with others. He was talking about not suing one another. Don't sue each other. Figure it out together, right? And, and there's, there's depth there. He talks about healthy marriage. He talks about that the diversity in the church is a blessing and it's not an inconvenience. Right? He's talking about healthy singleness. He's talking about uh, our Christian freedoms and how we walk in that in humility, how we do that well and love others in our freedoms in Christ. He talked about vocational ministry, being on mission no matter what your story is, kind of what, what Chris Wozniak was talking about, the if only syndrome. Like, oh, if, if only I was that gifted, then I would be able to serve God in these ways. That, that that's just an unhealthy perspective, that God has made you creatively, uniquely you for the sake of bringing him glory in your life. Uh, he's talk, we talked about communion and unity in the midst of communion, spiritual gifts, true love, and orderly worship was last week. And so it's been a journey of what Paul is trying to help the Corinthian church grasp because you can imagine all the struggles they were going through as a new church plant in a very pagan environment, in a very metropolitan city that had all going for them. And so he was trying to help them grasp how to walk their lives in line with Christ. 
And so now we're in the 15th chapter as we go into the end. So now as we come into the 15th chapter, Paul is just wrapping it all up and he's saying, hey, if I can say anything that I just said in those first, first 14 chapters, this is what I'm saying. And so if there's any chapter in the whole book, in the whole letter that we can look to in what Paul is trying to say, this is the chapter. And so we kinda, we're breaking up into two weeks, this week and next week, because it's that important. So everything that Paul is trying to write is made in this statement in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you can go there with me, I'm going to start in the top of the chapter. He says this starting in verse 1. So everything that we talked about, this is what he's desiring for us to understand. He says, now, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I passed on to you as mo most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then also to the apostles. Last of all, this is funny, he says, as of to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. So Paul here, he's verifying what he's been teaching this whole time. He's like, I'm preaching Christ, I'm preaching Christ crucified, I'm preaching this the whole time. And he's saying, I'm going to prove to you that this is not just rubbish. This is not just words. This is not just a myth. This is facts. This is history. This is truth. I'll prove it to you because all the claims that I have made... Paul says, I have verified in this story. He points out that while some have died, there are many that are still alive. He's like, I have seen him face to face, but guess what? There are a bunch that are still living. Don't take my word for it. Go ask them. Like, they've seen him. They've seen the resurrected body of Christ. Don't take my word for it. Go investigate for yourself. This is truth. This is history. This matters. This is so important. Don't just take my word for it. Go figure it out yourself. This matters because of how important this issue of resurrection is. The resurrected Christ. It's the very basis of our hope in the gospel. It's the essence of our hope in the gospel. This ain't no fairy tale or myth. It's history. It's facts. It's visually seen and documented. This is the real deal. This changes everything. If this is real, if this is real, if this is history, if this is true, this changes everything. And not only is the resurrection legit and real and legitimate, it leads me to my big idea. Also, Christ's resurrection guarantees ours. Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection. New life today is not possible without the resurrection of Christ. Right? We read in verse 20. Uh, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. 
the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits, what does that mean? That word first fruits is awesome. As one author notes that, that the word Paul uses is an agricultural term. It denotes the first installment of the harvest that has come. But it promises more of the same kind that is yet to come. That's what the first fruits means. In other words, Christ is first raised from the dead as a pledge, as an assurance, as a promise that those who have been adopted as his daughters or sons, those who are in Christ as apprentices of Jesus, will also then be raised to life from the dead and be resurrected. That's what the first fruits means. That's what Christ's resurrection guarantees us, that we also too will be resurrected with him. What great news that is. But how does Christ's resurrection guarantee ours? What does that mean? What does that look like? What are some ways that that's true? How do we know that to be factual? The first way is this, that there is no gospel without the resurrection. First and foremost, there is no good news. There is no hope in this world without the resurrection of Christ. Paul says this in verses 12 through 19. He helps the Corinthians understand that. He says this, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead cannot be raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for the, this life only, then we should be pitied more than anyone else in this world. For if Christ was not crucified, this is all pointless. Our lives as Christians really is meaningless and we should be living lives and seen by the world that we are just a pitied people because the resurrection of Christ was not real, if that is true. Because some of the people at this time in Corinth were asking this question. Are you sure there's something after this? Are you sure something's going to happen? Are you sure there's a resurrection? Because from what we've heard, from what we've understood, from these philosophies that we've been a part of, say that there aren't. Paul points out that without the resurrection, all of this apprenticing Jesus is not anything. It's just pointless. It's sad, and it's even pathetic. The reality of the resurrection is central to understanding who God is, to understanding what he has done and who that makes us to be, and then in response, what we are called to do in light of that. It's all centered on the facts and the truth that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. I don't know if you're basketball fans, but imagine the Lakers coming out to the court 
The opposite team is there. They call a play. Coach Ham calls a play. And they go and they start running it. They run a screen. They do the pick and roll. They start doing all these plays. But the referee never gave him a ball. The ball was not present. They were just running around, running screens, running in circles without a ball, without the basketball itself. You guys, the gospel without the resurrection is like basketball without a ball. It's pointless. Like any sport without a ball that needs a ball, without it, it is pointless. It's meaningless. We're just running around, running in circles, running a play. Without the ball, you can't score a touchdown. You can't shoot a basket. You can't run, uh, score runs in, in baseball. And if there is no scoring, then it's all meaningless. We're running around aimlessly. And without the resurrection, it is just that. It is a game without a ball. In the same way the Bible, religion, Christianity, the gospel is not good news at all. It's meaningless. And it's not effective. We all might as well get up and go home without the resurrection. It's that important. It's that solidifying. Jesus is not just a good teacher. He might have said some good things, but it's all meaningless. He would have been just like any other prophet at that time that said good things and died. And they were like, oh, I guess that's it. But that's not where it ended. He rose on the third day. That's a big deal. It changes everything. Why does that change everything? Why does Jesus resurrecting from the dead change everything? Leads me to my second way Christ's resurrection guarantees ours is that Jesus is the true and better Adam. What does that mean? Jesus is the true and better Adam. Paul references that. What does that mean? Let me read that again. Verses 21 and 22 says this. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all have died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Paul here brings up two important questions. First is that the idea of death for everyone through one person's actions, Adam, And then the second is the resurrection that will come through a man. And then he references Jesus as as that man. You see, in the beginning, God created a kingdom. And he was the king of this kingdom, and he made humans as a representation of this kingdom. But Adam and Eve rejected this call. They rejected it. They said, I have a better plan which led to humanity's enslavement to sin and death. God didn't want to leave us in that predicament. So he promised to rescue us from the slavery of sin and death and to defeat the serpent who who lied to Adam and Eve, who is bent on keeping us enslaved in sin and death. And then God promised that he will deliver us, that he would bring it back to its full purpose of humanity, and the offspring of a woman would bring that forth. Last night I was reading what we gifted our awesome parents this morning, the Jesus Story Bible. If you guys don't have that for your little ones or for yourself, I find it to be one of the most impactful ways to read scripture. It's not the literary word of God, but it's, it's an interpretation that I think is helpful 
for us to understand, especially for little ones that are learning. But I was reading it, and I was going to describe this idea of Jesus being the new and true Adam. And I had written this whole piece, but I read it last night. It was funny because the section I was reading to the girls described what I was trying to say better than I would have said it myself. So I'm going to read it to you guys. Is that cool? So the Jesus Storybook Bible... This is where Jesus is being tempted. This is the story where Jesus is being tempted uh, in the wilderness. And this is what, who is this? Who is the person that wrote this? Who knows? Sally Lowe Jones. All right. Here we go. Said this. Now that old enemy, the one who had spoken through the snake to Adam and Eve back in the garden. Do you remember him? He didn't want Jesus to rescue God's people. So he lied to Jesus. Are you really God's own son? He whispered, poor you. God must not love you. You don't need to die. You know what, but do it anyway. Yes, and no, Jesus said to him. You're a liar. I will do what God says. And from that moment on, nothing would ever be the same. See, Jesus was not like Adam. Jesus was a new kind of man. He would not believe the terrible lie that the enemy spoke. Jesus knew God loved him and that he would trust God no matter what. It was just as God had promised to Adam and Eve all those years before. Jesus had come to do battle against the snake's work. He would get rid of the sin and the darkness and the tears and he would suffer, but he would win. But he would win, and that's the reference of the resurrection. He would win. He's not like Adam who continued to disbelieve what God was trying to say. He believed and understood. He didn't sin. He didn't turn his back from God. He not only believed, he was the God-man who came on this earth to kill death, to kill sin, and to be resurrected to prove and to, and to prove to us that he has conquered death and that we now have a resurrection with him because of what he has done. Paul helps us to see that Jesus is a type of Adam, but that he's a true and better Adam. All those who are in Christ are renewed and redeemed as they have been adopted into the family lineage of Jesus. But all those who are not apprenticing Jesus are still related to Adam and are in his family line. The first Adam brought sin and death and the second Adam, the true Adam, brought restoration and life. He is the true and better Adam. Jesus is fully man, the Adam portion, the true Adam, the Adam that was originated, the one that was supposed to be in the garden. And he's also fully divine as God's only begotten son. So that means that he is the only one in all of history that can do this. The only one that can restore all things back to the original intent of what the garden was. The only one. And Paul reminds us that in Jesus, there is hope for our own resurrection and new life. If we are in his family lineage, if we are his children, if we are adopted in Christ. 
this leads me to my third and final way that the resurrection guarantees ours. It says, now our identity is secured. Now our identity is secured. Anthony Thistleton writes this about the resurrection. He says, the resurrection won the victory, but its implications are not all felt immediately. It's a process that is unfolding over time and will be fully completed at the end when God brings the final restoration in the new heavens and the new earth. It's a, it's a blessing that has happened, it's a blessing that is happening now, and it's a blessing that will come. <clears throat> which us, the church, the people of God, are at the center of. I know it's hard for us to believe, but you are the center of this purpose, of this intent, of the reason why the resurrection changes everything. He was thinking about every single one of us. It's mind-blowing. Because in the beginning, God promised that the rescue and the restoration would be accomplished by using humanity as the vehicle to accomplish his will. But today, he chooses to use his church as the primary vehicle for the advancement of his kingdom to display and to declare this truth. Today, he chooses to use his church. But that isn't the forever plan. He will take back the kingdom that he entrusted to first to Adam. But because Jesus, as the true and better Adam, has brought it back to order, he will then take it back in this rightful place with him as the true and better king and ruler of all humanity forever and ever when he returns. We are looking forward to that day. Daily I say, Lord, just come. <laughs> we need you. Will you come? But until then, this truth of the resurrection instills the confidence of our identity today, instills the truth and the purpose of our outcome for tomorrow. We can stand firm today. We can have peace in the outcome that is to come, even in the midst of our chaos and our pain and the hurts of today because of the resurrection of Christ. Paul puts it so well. This is, this is kind of the, the way I'm going to close. This is our response. I and mean, this is what Paul is telling the Corinthians at the end of, verse, of chapter 15 and verse 58. He says, this is the facts for you now. This is your response. He says this in verse 58. Therefore, therefore is always like, now after I said all that, this is why. Or this is what I mean. He says, therefore, be steadfast. Be immo immovable. Always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I know it can hurt. I know it's hard. I know it's tiring. I know you're weary, but it's not in vain. See, opposed to any other belief system that tells you you need to just do better, that, that you need to be good, that you are not, I'm sorry, that you are the only reason for the outcome of your life. Or that doing everything in your own power is what gets you into heaven. This is what other beliefs might say. But Paul here is saying now that Jesus, what we believe, has resurrected from the dead and conquered sin and death, we can now rest in his victory. And the outcome of our life now is secured. Our identity now is secured. 
We can love, we can serve, we can share the gospel, we can raise our kids well in the Lord. We could do good out of a place of victory and not trying to prove that we need to be victorious or that we're not trying to prove that we need to run the play correctly so that we can win. The win has already happened. The victory has already come. The resurrection is is true and alive. He is alive today at the right hand of the Father and that we can stand firm today because of what he has done and where we are going as the resurrected people of God. That today now he has won and forevermore he has won. So that now we can confidently be, what Paul says here, be steadfast. Be immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not aimless. It's not pointless. You're not playing basketball without a ball. You have the ball with you. You can run the play. It matters to the entire kingdom of God. And you matter. You matter to the entire kingdom of God. The beautiful part about that is not on us for the kingdom to be expanded. It's on his behalf. He has made it happen and that we can joyfully be a part of what he has done. And some of you aren't yet in the family, aren't yet adopted in Christ. Here's the good news. The Bible says that adoption into his family isn't based on how good you are. It's not based on that. It's not based on how accomplished your life is. It's not based even how holy you can be or even how good looking you are or how smart you are. It has nothing to do with that. No, the Bible says that we need faith to be adopted. That we need faith in Christ, in Jesus, to be adopted. But the amazing part is that the Bible says that we don't even have to come up with the faith on our own. We need the faith, but even you can't muster up the own faith that you need in you to believe. That God gives us the very faith to believe and to be adopted in him. That's incredible. He gifts us faith to believe. He works in our hearts before we are even able to acknowledge him as God. We need him to move in the midst of us and others that don't know him. Because he always and he allows us to begin to belong before we even believe. What a good God we serve. What a kind, gracious, loving father he is. I want us to respond to such a good God, to the resurrected Son that is at the right hand of the Father. What a joy it is. And I want us to respond. Maybe you have not embraced the good news of the gospel, the resurrected Christ. I want us to, we want to pray for you this morning. We want to give you an opportunity to respond to him and ask him, will you give me faith? Will you give me faith to believe in your son, Jesus? In this truth of your resurrection that changes everything that I heard. Everything I heard today, it changes everything. The resurrection, and Lord, I want to believe this truth. 
And for those that have and do and follow and believe because of God's grace, we believe in Jesus and what he's done, and we live a life that's anew in him because of his resurrection, I want us to respond in prayer, but also at the Lord's table as we take communion, as we remember his death, as we remember the blood that he shed, the body that he broke, as we partake of these elements that represent what he has done, and the fact that the tomb, guess what, is empty, so that we are now a resurrected people that will one day be resurrected with him. What good news that is. And then I want us to respond in worship. In exaltation to the Lord, we will worship God as we close today's service. Let me pray for us, and we'll have our prayer leaders on each side, and then we'll dismiss for communion and respond to this truth, to this fact, that the resurrection of Christ is what guarantees our resurrection. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the resurrected king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the God of all creation that came to earth to live a life that's perfect, to live a life that Adam could not live, that Adam failed to live, and you came, Jesus, to display the truth and the ultimate reality of what Adam was supposed to be. You are the perfect and true Adam. And not only that, you also reversed the curse. You reversed the curse that Adam brought because of his sin, and you brought life. You died on the cross as the perfect man, and you rose from the grave to represent that sin and death have no more hold on all who believe in you. So God, we respond in prayer. We ask you to give us faith, give us clarity, give us opportunity to see you for who you truly are. And as we take communion, help us to remember you, to see you, to partake of communion for those who believe. This is for the believer. And may we know you well. And may we exalt you in worship and declaring you as we respond in faith. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.